Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today we are talking about leading through change, a military perspective. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in navigating disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. Today, our guest is Deborah Havens. She is a U.S. Navy Rear Admiral retired. Deborah is a successful leader in a wide variety of global logistics organizations, both civilian and military, for over 30 years. She's particularly skilled at introducing change in large organizations. She has a keen ability to understand the landscape, identify barriers, and develop an actionable plan to improve organizational effectiveness. She's now an executive coach, independent consultant, and a member of the board of directors for the Flag and General Officer Network. A change mindset is here to stay. Implementing change takes high energy, an abundance of patience, and extreme flexibility. Today, Deborah joins me to discuss her experience in leading change and working in an uncertain environment, as well as the lessons she's learned that can be translated to situations all leaders face. So, Deborah, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maureen. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you taking the opportunity to hear my story about change and the journey I went on through leading military service members in different operations and contingencies. Great. I know a passion of yours, while we didn't talk about it in the intro, is leading women specifically becoming a flag officer Mm -hmm. in the U.S. military isn't a minor undertaking for anyone. Mm -hmm. And for a woman, it's even a bigger accomplishment. Right. So it certainly was an honor to make that rank. My role and the way I handled myself throughout my professional experience was do the job, do Mm -hmm. absolutely the best job I could do, and then help others, in particular, provide some sponsorship to other women. And Mm -hmm. that's a little bit different than mentoring. It's somewhat behind the scenes, pushing them forward, maybe ensuring that they had opportunities to be put out in front and lead special projects where maybe they didn't think they had the skill set to do it, but you saw that in them and stretched them. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that sponsorship is keenly important for for others to push other members of the military and in the workforce to forward and give mm-hmm. them opportunities that they may not have had but also to support them and mentor them through those sponsorship opportunities, those stretch goals. Well, and the military has taken a lead in the arena of social justice, Mm -hmm. not only with women, but people of underserved populations of all types. Right. And part of my job was to work in the international business arena in my defense contract management agency job where we did contract oversight for contracts that are awarded outside the U.S. So Mm. I was able to get into factories, get under the hood of organizations, and sit down with CEOs and COOs. And my main takeaway was how lucky I was to be a woman that grew up in the United States because Mm -hmm. in all those other countries, those 28 other nations that I worked in, women were not sitting at the CEO, COO table. Mm -hmm. In some cases, some of the countries are a little behind us, but I think the military has really pushed it forward Mm -hmm. and they really try and push women to other opportunities. But I think 
overall, our nation has more women in leadership positions. And I think we have a way to go. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not there yet. We can't declare mm -hmm. victory. But I think we are lucky as females to grow up in this great nation. As you have, I've seen a lot of change mm -hmm. from when I entered the workforce, so probably a similar time period, right. mm -hmm. where I was often the only woman in a room, and right. it was assumed that I was there to get them coffee. Yeah, so I think, you know, we're moving, making some strides forward. I worked a lot in the logistics community, mm -hmm. and I think that still is need some more females around the table, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we're getting there. Mm -hmm. But I think that having that perspective, different perspective, and opening up the organization to be comfortable with hearing different perspectives, whether it's a female, someone who grew up in a different part of the nation or a different part of the world, opening up and helping that group feel integrated mm -hmm. in the organization as leaders, mm -hmm. we need to, to do that and ensure that's happening by asking questions, ensuring that perspective is being heard. That individual may be the introvert around the table, but how are you pulling them out? How are mm -hmm. you integrating them into the organization? And are you sponsoring them and giving them opportunities to stretch and showcase their talents that they have? So with diversity or different perspectives in organizations, it's been proven that those companies make mm -hmm. a higher profit. Mm -hmm. They don't have as many blind spots. So I think that it's, it's the way to go. And I think I, I'm very delighted to see that we're all moving in that direction. I'd like to be going down the highway a little faster, but, <laughs> but I think we'll get there. So Great. Thank you. So I think that's a great lead in to our conversation about effectively implementing mm -hmm. large scale change, mm -hmm. that integrating different points of view is mm -hmm. one of the foundations. Mm -hmm. So what's been your experience with large scale change? So with large scale change, it's, it's difficult. It's exhausting. The resistance to change can be crushing. I've had the opportunity to lead service members in contingency operations from humanitarian assistance events such as the earthquake in Haiti or helping with the Syrian refugees in Jordan. And mm. I've also had the honor to support sailors and airmen on logistics operations for Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan, those those mm -hmm. types of areas. And change is hard. And when I look at it from a reserve perspective, because I'm a reservist, I think that the reservists are spectacular change because they get called up for an event and they leave their families, their homes, their civilian jobs, their reserve jobs. And many times they're very involved in the community. So they have to mm -hmm. turn off that, whether they're the coach or the Boy Scout leader, whatever. And then they go to a new team in a new location, probably not so nice. And then they take on a new role in a new organization, and then they do the reverse. So we do get resiliency training in the military, and mm -hmm. that's helpful. But the magnitude of that change can be pretty drastic. And I think that many organizations are seeing the impact that change has based on COVID. You know, mm -hmm. things change. People are working from home. They had to set up their own IT. They have to wear a face mask. And you can see that through change, sometimes your best workers may not always behave in mm -hmm. the, the professional way. And it's because it's an emotional issue. Something is changing. Maybe they are not the leader in the organization. Maybe they don't have mm -hmm. all the information now because you put in a new operating system. So it can be pretty overwhelming for some people. And the other thing about change is that as a leader, you normally hear about to change first. Mm -hmm. So you have had some time to maybe think about it before it gets introduced to your workforce or team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So you have to be patient to allow your team to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. And with change, you know, you need to repeat the message, but being patient mm-hmm. with them. And I draw the analogy of you hear about the change as a leader and you get on the on-ramp on the highway, you're going 25. Now you're thinking about it, you're going 75 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And when your team hears about it, they're just getting on the on-ramp. So they, they're not with you and you have to wait for them to catch up. You can't stop your thinking about mm-hmm. the change, but you have to wait for them to catch up. And my experience has been once they catch up and you clearly communicate what mm-hmm. the intent is or the vision, they will exceed expectations. You know, there'll be some people in there that will have some struggles with understanding or the change. You may have to provide more empathy, more compassion mm-hmm. for them. You may have to maybe put them in a different role than you expected mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they just don't step up. But the other really positive thing that I've seen in change is some individuals who maybe their skills were dormant. All of a sudden, they stepped up. They mm-hmm. excelled because they had new mm-hmm. opportunity. They were re-energized. So it can be kind of energizing for the workforce. Mm-hmm. But it really is how the leader handles it. So if you approach the change from a very positive dimension, mm-hmm. you have a positive attitude to it, you're, you're enthusiastic about it, and you communicate that there are some gaps, you're authentic in your communication and transparent in your communication, the team will will pull it all together. So let me repeat back part of what I'm hearing. And it's interesting, especially the empathy piece. Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of listening to the commandant, recently retired commandant of the Marine Corps. And he was talking about the importance of empathy, especially when people are deployed. Mm -hmm. And he was comparing that to the current COVID crisis. And this may be my lack of awareness of the Marine Corps, but I have the image of boot camp and things like that. Mm. And empathy wasn't the thing I expected to hear him say. And it is so important. I learned this on a deployment. We took 500 sailors to Kuwait to work Mm -hmm. in Kuwait and Iraq. Mm -hmm. And we had ensured we had the technical experts on our Mm -hmm. organizational chart. Yeah. And... I was a female commander, and my command sergeant major senior enlisted mm-hmm. was a female. And we went on the deployment, and my senior enlisted, she worked with all the other senior enlisted. And what ended up happening is our team was technically proficient. The issue that our team needed help with was the emotional side of it. Mm-hmm. And our female master chief took time to find out mm-hmm. what is going on with you, sailor. You know, someone was having financial problems. Someone was having problems with their wife, children. The, these different mm-hmm. things were going mm-hmm. on. And she took the time to listen to what was the barrier to that sailor's mm-hmm. being able to perform at the top level. Mm-hmm. What was the emotional issue that was holding them back? And that opened up my eyes and the eyes of our whole team that that was so important find mm-hmm. out what's going on behind the scenes with this person you know is it pay is it their child is having trouble in school is it something going on with their family but just the fact that someone took the time to listen mm-hmm. and help in some ways or we could we could provide some help that was all they wanted they needed that compassion that empathy mm-hmm. and it was so important and so powerful and that built such a connection with the team. And it was really mm-hmm. more of a family. Okay, people are working together, working out issues in, mm-hmm. in this deployed environment. So that the main goal is people will stay focused on work and be mm-hmm. safe at work. They won't mm-hmm. be distracted thinking about things that 
they can't control right now. But anyway, but it's so important. Everyone has a leadership journey and you have Mm -hmm. these points in your career where the switch goes on. And for Mm -hmm. me, the switch went on there. So the understanding your workforce, getting to know them, sitting down Mm -hmm. and talking to them, finding out what the barriers are for them to move forward. I grew up in finance and and empathy wasn't a core competency in finance. No. no. (laughs) It was later in my career that I grew up in a time where work was work and home was home. And and especially for a woman in the workforce, we didn't talk about anything personal. Mm -hmm. So bringing forward even the competency of empathy, that was not a path to success. And this is where I think leadership as a field has changed. Mm-hmm. especially now with COVID, where people are suffering. Right. And they aren't equipped to deal with some of the challenges they're facing. Right. And they just maybe need someone to listen to them. So I think it's really important. I think it's powerful. When I got my MBA many, many years ago, mm-hmm. we read one book on corporate culture, mm-hmm. which was just kind of the entrance for me into that thinking about mm-hmm. what do workers want at work? How do they want to be treated as opposed to just doing the, the hardcore finance or, mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. the issue was? And I think we've come a long way in that area. And I think, you know, the good thing about COVID is it has moved us forward in that area. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. One of the other things I heard you say was being positive. The way you act to a situ- situation will determine your future. So mm-hmm. if you can react to change in a positive way, embrace the change, because mm-hmm. guess what? changes with us forever. I read this book. It was called Postcards, and it was written by Annie Prolitz. And it was about a Vermont dairy farming family who just before World War II, they had the decision whether they could take out a loan and invest in some machinery for dairy farming, Mm -hmm. or they could just do it the old-fashioned hand way. And they made the decision not to invest and their neighbors invested and they kept going financially down down Mm, down because mm. they didn't embrace the change that book you know i didn't read it about change but Mm -hmm. that had such an impact on me and that made me realize that you need to embrace change because it's here to stay and if you don't you'll be left behind on the side of the Mm -hmm. road so you need to get get moving and get on the highway and it's tough it's it's a hard thing to do so especially when we have to change ourselves Right. Little changes are hard, even just taking a different road because there's mm-hmm. a detour. You don't like to do that, but you have to you know, go with it. You can't fight it. And the way you react to change is going to set the tone for the organization as a leader. Everyone's got all eyes on you. So I think on that note, I encourage our listeners to think about if all eyes were on you, whether you're a former organizational leader, a leadership role in your family or your community, if people were to emulate what they see from you, not what you think you're conveying, but what they see you conveying, what tone are you setting? We're talking about leading through change, a military perspective. So Debbie is a Navy Rear Admiral, retired. So she has a great deal of experience in the military as well as other organizations in the space of logistics. So Debbie, can you share with our listeners who don't know much about the military or logistics, what is the role of logistics in the military? Well, the general role is to get material items, could be food, parts, 
to the warfighter wherever they are. Mm-hmm. So that's the the broad goal of it. And that's that's what the Department of Defense does because we have troops all around the world providing support and so we need to be able to get material to them. And by the way, we also support other allies through foreign military sales and some exchange mm-hmm. programs. So so it's it's a big business, it's a big operation and it's critically important for our nation to be able to project power in the different locations that we need to. I don't think people recognize, we think of the military as the boots on the ground or the planes or the ships, but what percentage of the military is actually made up of logistics? It's significantly more, Mm. right, than the warfighters. It is important, and I don't have the number on my head. So my understanding is logistics is a significant portion of the military. It's not a an afterthought it's it's right. a big it's, portion of the it's it's very important in all planning any operation mm-hmm. because if we can't get food we can't get the bullets and other materials parts mm-hmm. for aircraft to the locations fuel it becomes an issue and we, the places they sleep and the mm-hmm. asphalt for the runways right. and mm-hmm. every single thing that is required to right. maintain them so if we think about If I were to come into this community of Columbus, Ohio, 200 years ago, and there were no buildings, no toilets, no gas stations, just plain ground, and whoever was indigenous to the community, that's what you're going into as an operation starts in many cases. Right, exactly. And we provided logistic support to Haiti during the earthquake. And one of the issues was, well, Haiti doesn't have a lot of infrastructure, but during the earthquake that happened, the infrastructure they did have was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So their pier was destroyed, their airport uh, was small, and that that had some damage as well. So we were trying to get logistics, supplies, food, things that the Haitians needed to survive Mm -hmm. Um, through that devastating earthquake into Haiti, and we used Guantanamo Bay. So Mm -hmm. my unit was called up to go to Guantanamo Bay to set up a logistics hub. We were called Saturday night, left on Tuesday. Unfortunately, we hit a really bad snowstorm in Norfolk, which they don't get snowstorms normally, but Mm -hmm. the runways were jammed up and they couldn't clear them. So eventually we got a plane to take us to Guantanamo Bay. But from the change perspective... I had pulled these 30 sailors from their homes, from their civilian lives, brought them to Sultan. We need to get to Norfolk mm-hmm. so we can go down there. And then the snowstorm impairs us from moving forward. My boss is down in uh, Guantanamo saying, get down here. I need mm-hmm. your people. We need to get going. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to handle everything. And I needed to maintain a steady rudder because everyone was looking at me like, what's mm-hmm. going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, yeah, so that's the important thing with change. Communicate to everyone. Find out who the key stakeholders are. And you need to be calm, even though you might not be calm inside, but you need to project the (laughs) calmness outside and keep everyone informed. So that was really important. So you've talked about the theme of communication. And and by the time other people hear what's happening, you're already going 70 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And in this case, probably so, right? You have to figure out who to call up. So by the time you're even sending the first email or making the first phone call, you have created a plan, staffed the plan, and they're hearing for the first time on Friday night that they're going to be deploying. Right. And their families are counting on them to do the things they typically do, and and everything in life has Mm -hmm. to pivot Mm -hmm. quickly. 
again, for reservist families are so important because they're flexible. But the change for the reservist is pretty impressive. And they're usually very excited about the mission. And this was a hearts and mind mission. So that's easy. People mm-hmm. are excited about that change because they can they could see when we landed in Guantanamo Bay, there were pallets of materials that needed to go get mm-hmm. go on and we got a nice welcome there because they wanted us to start moving those so you know clearly communicating the mission to the workforce is the key thing for the leader and you know my father was a world war ii pilot and then after world war ii was over he became an instructor pilot mm-hmm. and he told me as an instructor pilot he was educated to tell his student pilots everything 10 times. So you mm. imagine the student pilots, they need to know this information. This is important mm-hmm. because they're going taking a plane up. They could you know, hurt themselves mm-hmm. or many other people. So this is important. But even they needed to be told things 10 times. So this point that I'm making would resonate with me when I would tell my workforce whatever change mm-hmm. was going on. And then two days later, I would find out that the people that were, they didn't hear what I said. And I said, ah, 10 times. You got to tell people 10 times because they may have something else on their mind. They may be distracted or they just didn't hear it because they, they didn't grasp the whole story. So 10 times, 10 different ways the leader has to be patient. That can be exhausting, you know, to kind of get everybody up to speed. And then you mm-hmm. have to have folk around you that can also cascade that message down mm-hmm. in in the proper way. And once that happens, your team should be empowered to do what they need to do. And one of the stories that I wanted to share with you in Guantanamo Bay was uh, we were trying to get all these pallets down to Haiti. They didn't have any infrastructure for piers. And the Army had these small landing craft unit boats that you could put a few pallets on. And they weren't really in our plan because we didn't know they were going to be there. So I was down at the pier one day talking to one of the lieutenants, and he said, oh, my gosh, this is great. These these captains of these Army LCU, Blandy Craft Unit, they're happy to pick up the pallets and take them down to Haiti, and they can just roll them right onto the beach because they don't. I said, wow, that's great. I said, what? Who's who's their equivalent of mm-hmm. my rank? Mm-hmm. And they said they gave me the guy's name. And so I called him, and I said, gosh, you know, my bad. I hadn't introduced myself to you. Mm. We're here. And I just want to say thank you because you guys are really helping us get the the goods to mm. the devastated citizens of, of Haiti. And the gentleman said, I didn't know that he sort of got aggravated. He, di- I, he didn't know they were doing that. And I said, you know what? I think this is a good thing. May- he was. A, we were both 06s or he was a colonel and I was a captain at the time. And so I said, you know, maybe we should just step aside. Our teams are empowered. They know what they need Mm -hmm. to do and Mm -hmm. they're doing it. I said, I think this Mm -hmm. is brilliant. It was just funny how people look at things a different way. You know, Mm -hmm. I know I can't do everything tactical because I'm trying to do the strategic messaging Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. keep all the balls in the air. And I'm not down at the pier, so I don't know everything that's Mm -hmm. going on. And I thought it was brilliant that they knew what needed to be done and figured out, build relationships and went and mm-hmm. did it. How can that be bad? So anyway, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's the idea of empowerment and people connecting to the mission. And yeah. my sense is in the military that that is prominent across the services. Mm-hmm. This is what we're here for. And in, on that mm-hmm. mission, it was a humanitarian mission. Yeah. And we're not going to let lines and boundaries get in our way. We're feeding people who are devastated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're a team. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a good example of empowerment going going well, you know, unbeknownst <laughs> to me, you know, so you have to ask questions. Tell me a little bit more about how that mission impacted the team. The change was pretty significant. And once we got the battle rhythm going and we figured out who the key stakeholders were and integrated with them, the team really gelled. Now, there were some people that we picked and put in certain roles, as I was saying, mm-hmm. that we thought, okay, that would be good. That would be a stretch role mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. We made a mistake that they couldn't get there. So we had to make some make some adjustments. There were some team members that we didn't know the talents that they had. And when mm-hmm. we put them in the position, they excelled and, mm-hmm. and exceeded expectations. But the other interesting thing that happened was as the time went on, the mission was to stand down and the State Department was to Mm -hmm. take over the mission. Mm -hmm. So at that point, they didn't need as many of the military members to do the support because the the State Department was doing it. So we had to send our folk home. And I thought in my head, I thought, oh, well, everybody would be happy to go home because we didn't know how long we were Mm going to be there. It was disruptive and everything. And I started listening, and I found that, oh, pe- some people were unhappy about going home. Interesting. Um, so, so I said, okay, let's go to their location and do an all hands, and they need to hear from me what's going mm-hmm. on and why. Mm-hmm. Why we're going, why we're picking the certain people. So, so we explained. Hey, we're going to take volunteers first, and then certain skills, and then this is the mm-hmm. the battle rhythm that we we have established timeline for that. And then we answered some other questions and found out some other things that were bothering them, which was really good. But again, you think as a leader, you know what's going to happen and what the reaction Mm -hmm. is going to be and change people react differently. So they didn't want to go because they liked the mission. It was a hearts and mind. The work was good. So we had to communicate. And and we didn't have any problems after we communicated what the issue was and how we were going home. But it's just a different perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as you were shifting, again, it sounds like the, and I realize you can't boil leadership down to five points or anything, Mm -hmm. but it it sounds like the skill of empathy and listening and Mm -hmm. understanding along with communication really did help them come on board with both the leaving of their homes and their families Mm -hmm. to go do the mission. During the mission, that was helpful to deal with the disruptions Mm -hmm. they were facing And then as it was time to exit the mission, also sending people home different than one might have expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think communication is the most important thing. But then also a big component of communication is the listening aspect. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to what the team is saying, what the barriers are, and also ask questions. Mm -hmm. You can ask things like, what's on your mind? And then stay silent and then say, and what else? And I find that when you ask that second question, Mm -hmm. and what else, it's oftentimes where you find the gold. Because the first question you ask, what's going on? I say, okay, she's interested. And then they say whatever. It might be a superficial response. And Mm -hmm. then when you say, and what else, they say, oh, I guess she's really wants to know what's going on. So I'm going to tell mm-hmm. her this. And it, it may break a barrier that you hadn't uncovered before, which could help the whole team. So yeah, listening is very important. I like the question of and what else? Because mm-hmm. we often, 
we're rushing through the day to get all of the the stuff done. And it feels like I've checked off my listening box mm-hmm. right, if I exactly. ask the question mm-hmm. and don't just slow down and really allow people to feel safe with me, right? understand that I really do genuinely care mm-hmm. and their information is important to the mission. Right, exactly. And that can be very helpful not only to them, but to others. Perfect. <laughs> Today, we're talking about leading through change, a military perspective with Navy Rear Admiral Deborah Havens. So, Debbie, how, as a leader, do you help people deal with uncertainty, and how do you do it yourself? Well, first thing I do is figure out what the situation is and who the key stakeholders are in okay. the situation, and then Try to understand why. What's the compelling reason for the change? And then explain the compelling reason for the the change and try and communicate in a clear way. But the key thing with the relationships is to set a foundation of trust with all the relationships because that's going to catapult your team forward and you if Mm -hmm. they feel like they can trust you and you're listening to them. So when you're meeting with the key stakeholders, try and talk about what their blind spots are for certain situation, what are their barriers, what are the things that are anchoring them as you move forward. Because if you can't bring your stakeholders on board, you're going to have trouble with mm-hmm. making the change. And so you need to build coalitions. And oftentimes it's building coalitions where they didn't exist. And a couple red flags that I always have is when I've been in change situations, I say, well, what does that organization over there do? Or what does that team over there do? And somebody will say, well, they're not important. They don't do anything for us. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think, oh, well, let's just go have a chat with them because maybe they are important and maybe they should be doing something for us. And we haven't figured Mm -hmm. that out. So I think trying to get the the band together, trying to get build the team Mm -hmm. and build some energy and momentum, you must have a positive attitude and a bias for action. You're not going to know everything about the situation. Think COVID, what we knew in March and what we know Mm -hmm. now. But you need to move forward and you need to get some momentum and do it in a design thinking sort of Mm -hmm. iterative way. 1-0, you learn some things, you learn some more things. That means you can't get defensive when new information or changes come forward. And we talk about that as the mind of the scientist. Right. That as a researcher or a scientist, the whole thing scientists do is solve problems that haven't been solved. So, of course, I'm not going to know, but each step is directionally correct, even if it's an experiment that gives me more information that disproves my hypothesis. Right. At least I'm not going in the wrong path long term. The experiment has produced value in helping me correct course. So you can move forward. You might have to make a small adjustment. The other thing is, as the leader, resistance to change can be crushing to you. You cannot take it personally. You know, when we were doing the change for supporting the Haiti hearts and minds, we had volunteers, that was positive. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing an operating system change in your organization, a new software system, That can be not so fun as a leader because if you don't get the why right. And so you need to stay strong and you need to figure out how to be tough through Mm -hmm. that, how to have resilience. And I think resilience is a component of toughness. But you also need to go further than resilience. You need to have grit 
because mm-hmm. I think resilience is just sort of like you're just hanging on, but grit will get you back on track and move forward. So again, as a woman, toughness looks different than a man mm-hmm. in some cases, and grit looks potentially different. So how did you personally navigate some of these difficult situations that just probably felt crushing, even though you wouldn't have ever shown that to other people? Well, I always use the term politely persistent. Okay. I would tell my teammates, we're just going to be politely persistent. Establish metrics that hold everyone accountable, and it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's we're here, the goal is to go there, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And so keeping it at that level, but it's polite, persistent, and never giving up. That can be tough. In part of my career, for a very short time, I sold life insurance. My sales manager said, if you get no, that's the beginning of the conversation. And his take on that was, if you get no, now you know your starting point. Now you know where to go. Mm -hmm. So I never took no for an answer. Hmm. If someone said, no, they can't do it, okay, we would just keep politely mm-hmm. persistent mm-hmm. and get to get somehow in between some compromise in between. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to stay positive? Well, I meditate. I work out. You know, I'm very physically fit or I try to mm-hmm. be, I guess I call myself a recreational athlete. Just th- those are my things that I that I say positive. And I think, you know, you can look at the world in a negative light. Mm-hmm. And that's not very good. Or you just look at it in a positive light, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's a much happier place to be. And yet some people are more wired toward negative or, or protection, maybe. Right. And I grew up with a military intelligence dad. He, he was always oh. looking at scenarios oh, of right. risk. Mm-hmm. And the scenario was not typically everything's going to go well. It right. was always what are our risk factors. Right. And so balancing both, at least for me, has been... A challenge. I know my life is happier when I'm not obsessing over mm-hmm. risk, and yet I'm not able to step away from that risk piece. Right. And I'm guessing in your role, you don't ignore risk no. either. Mm-mm. No, you have to consider it, but you can't anchor on it. Mm-hmm. And you have to take what we call it operational risk, operational mm-hmm. management review mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And then certain risks you can take and certain risks you can't. And during COVID, I think people are, are applying that in the day-to-day, whether it's in your business operations or whether it's in your personal, you're taking some risks and you're trying to do it in a fashion that's not going to put anyone in a danger area. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now, I think we, we all should be paying attention to risk. Right. Mm-hmm. And to your point, not hunkered down and unable to... Paralyzed, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. to function. Because for many people as you said, during other changes, they, they are really rising to the occasion mm-hmm. and showing this has been an opportunity that they're taking. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that others who I would have anticipated a stronger response from, in some cases, they, they're they not. They're not able to step up in the way we would have hoped. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it just for, in commercial logistics, the COVID has fast forwarded the whole view of logistics. You know, we're now we're getting more called the last tactical mile. The logistics operations are focused on how do I get the good, not not to the store, but to the home. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the military, we use the last tactical mile. That's mm-hmm. that vernacular, but it's the same thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's very exciting time to be in the logistics business in the commercial sector. And because we're actually 
moving forward in, in many areas and looking at different ways to manufacture things in the U.S. through using recyclables in the U.S. so that we don't aren't dependent on other nations and transportation issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, and, and I'm not biased toward or against different companies, but it looks like companies like Amazon are also doing a lot in the green space because mm-hmm. right. it seems like I drive my car to the store and I pick up all the stuff I need or I order three bags of nuts from Amazon and then 15 minutes later I order a lavalier microphone and then two hours later I order something else and they don't package it. It's three different deliveries. Mm -hmm. I think the Amazon truck guy just sits in the neighborhood and carries stuff around. Mm -hmm. So it has to be less energy efficient to deliver by item. So it's interesting to see that last mile translating in the world of online delivery, mm-hmm. whether it's Amazon or True. whomever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely some positive things coming out of that. And that's something that needs to be looked at. So what do you want leaders to take away from this conversation about uncertainty and leading in a crisis? If you were to recommend two things or three things that you have to get right? I think stay open-minded, stay positive, and embrace the change because it's going to happen. So how do you do that? How do you, you've talked about working out, you've talked about meditating. Mm -hmm. There have to be times that you see a change coming, you know it's the right thing, and you're like, holy crap, not again. I'm, I'm up to here with change. I don't know. I guess I've had the experience that change is sort of energizing for me in a way. And my assignments have been go do something Mm -hmm. new here, go set up a new team there. And I think that's energizing for me. Okay, so it is your mindset. It's something that I like it. I like the change. And I maybe after we get a something going and it's all set up then I get a little bored right so I think so I think doing something new is something that's been in my DNA I don't know why yeah I think it's brilliant yeah and again for some of our listeners they're saying I'm like that and others are saying can't we just Mm -hmm. I'm a maintainer I don't want any more change right yeah Mm -hmm. and this is a tough time for some of our folks right and for others it's they were built for this Mm -hmm. yeah so as we're wrapping up, how would listeners contact you? You're a coach, you're a consultant. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the next phase of your work and life in a couple of minutes. Right. I'm transitioning and established a coaching business, and I'd love to help leaders move to the next level and help them on their leadership journey, because I do believe it's a journey. So you can contact me through my email, Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-P-H-A-V-E-N, haven at gmail.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. And I look forward to hearing from you and learning about your change journey and your leadership journey. And thanks again, Maureen, for inviting me to come. It's really been great. I appreciate what you do for so many people. Thank you, Deborah, and thank you for sharing your wisdom. I know anyone who gets to work with you directly will have a a fabulous experience because you really do bring a great deal of perspective and grit and Mm -hmm. empathy all Mm -hmm. together as an executive who can help other women and other men, not just women, Mm -hmm. and organizations. Yes. Mm -hmm. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. 
as you are facing changes in your world, we encourage you to think about Deborah's guidance of listening, setting clear direction, showing grit, being positive, and listening, listening to our people, not as a to-do list item, but truly being present and continuing to encourage them to share the things that are harder for them, that especially during COVID, folks are trying to hold it together and sometimes they're not doing so well. And we as leaders will have an opportunity to support our people in the ways that we don't typically, that is our way of giving back to them for, in many cases, years of service that they have supported us without question. So thank you for listening. We encourage your feedback. Connect with me on LinkedIn as Maureen Metcalf or the Innovative Leadership Institute. Like us on iTunes or Voice America. And you can also email me at info at innovateleader.com. I welcome your suggestions and your input. Thank you for listening and please listen again soon.